Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined once again by my dude Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, it has been a few weeks since we've been on the mics together, man. Fill me in. What has been up with you the last couple of weeks? I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever, dude. And uh, well, I can't, we can't say that because we just touched base yesterday uh, with your check-in. But uh, no, it's honestly it's been a, a productive couple of weeks for me on my end. Uh, you know, it's full bore summer over here, but I have a ton of clients in fat loss phases uh, in different summer, getting ready for. Um, subsequent contest preps coming up in the fall and just overall man everything has been going well busy uh business is extremely busy but that's you know as i always say that's a blessing and uh, other than that man everything's status quo uh life has been good and uh you have been responding extremely well this lean building phase so if anyone has new stuff to report it's you not me my friend do i look bigger than the last time you saw me your uh your delts definitely look bigger and i will say that that uh that chest work you know, you're uh, you're hitting PRs this this phase already, especially within your incline chest work. So that is uh, a good sign of things to come, especially when we look at like really when we look at measuring hypertrophy, it's really interesting that we don't have like really good proxies for this. You know, you can get DEXA or you can get BOD pod, but these things have large measurement errors. So if you actually look into literature um, on what are some of the best performance proxies, uh, James Krieger had done an analysis on this where he looked at what were the best indicators in studies that they had conducted, which were controlled studies. And they found that seeing rep increases or performance increases across multiple reps or multiple sets of reps within hypertrophy range. So that could be anywhere between six to 30. But in this particular study, it was a study he had done with Brad Schoenfeld, where they showed between like six to 15 reps, seeing you know um, performance increases across all your sets of an exercise of a muscle group is an indicator of hypertrophy for that muscle group. So seeing as the fact that, you know, every set of your incline chest work has been going up, if we just continue this, this projection, this trajectory over time, I have no doubt that, you know, and we also had put in, you know, there's a caveat to that. We did a full chest specialization cycle right. prior to going into this. We spent about six months within that phase. So I expect that things continue going in this positive direction. Yeah, man, I'm happy with how things have been going as well. Of course, there's a lot, a lot of variables there, but I mean, um, first, I know we talked a lot about just making it more of a priority and like still seeing a lot of areas where I could do better within the building phase. Um, and just like time blocking it for me and like blocking out social media and everything during that time when I'm training and making sure there's nothing like interrupting my sessions. And for me, just like giving myself right because rather than like being rushed in sessions giving myself time to like i can take like the full rest periods that i need between sets and things of that nature extremely consistently and that's never rushed that's been huge for me i'm also i am happy though with like where my chest work is at ever since my shoulder injury which was what in 2015 like chest was a big strength of mine um and then really it was i had really kind of lost that connection with it until this our last chest specialization phase so i'm really really happy with where that's at i mean across the board i feel like like the disruption just the tension as a whole i've been getting in my training has been so good in this phase but um yeah i'm, I'm excited for it i would rather honestly just like let's see where the results are in another three to six months than talk about it too much but i'm i'm happy with how things are going so far dude Absolutely, man. I, I look forward to it. And uh, as always, we will continue to uh, document the journey through this podcast. I think this is going to be a great, you know, we have, you know, over a year of podcasts that we've essentially documented our entire journey of working together, which I know we've gotten a lot of good um, listener feedback, but it's also something that we can look back on and see where we mm -hmm. were a year ago and then a year from now, per se. So I always like documenting that journey. I know you're not super big on documenting it on social media. That's, that's kind of an approach that I took personally, just to try to document my trajectory or my progression over the years. I mean, you go back, I have content from over 10 years ago of me documenting diets that I've done. So it's almost like a, a catalog of 
of sorts. And so yeah. just for me personally, that was a, a method that I used for accountability initially, but now it's right. just for, to, to show that I'm still in the trenches. I'm still, you know, walking the walk, despite my physique progression, not being my main focus, really it is coaching. It is helping the progression of others, but it is something I'm still deeply passionate about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can fully appreciate that. I know we talked about this before, probably something that I could do better. The last couple of years, I've just been with the mindset of everything with like, mm -hmm. I'd much rather just like show people the result than, but I think that also at the same time, like I know people really enjoy and appreciate that. And I think that it's probably, I don't know if I necessarily need to apply it to this area, but anyways, let's go ahead and get into the topic for today. Cause I think we're going to have quite a bit to chat about here. And I'm excited to get into this one, which today we have why females should be fueling themselves before going into a fat loss phase. Um, I know this is going to be extremely relevant to both of our clientele, because I think this is probably one of the most conversation, common conversations we have with new clients. So take it away, dude. Why is it that women shouldn't just jump into a fat loss phase? All right. So I just want to give a caveat before we get into this, because I've been getting a lot of requests from the audience of your show, as well as specifically actually from our female listeners to do an episode on how I specifically approach fat loss phases, because yeah. honestly, that is the sexiest topic. Everyone wants right. to go into fat loss. Nine out of 10 people that contact us, especially females, they want to go into a fat loss phase and they wanted to know what approaches I found to work best given the differences in a female's physiology. And that's going to be a topic that we cover. So Everyone out there in the audience that has reached out to me, don't worry, we are going to cover that. But I find that we should do that in a later episode. But yeah. before we do that, I think that the best thing to do would be to do an episode on why we shouldn't just jump into a deficit, even if fat loss is your long-term goal. And whenever I do a consult with a potential new client, I always ask about their past experiences in terms of things like their previous dieting history, the approaches they've taken to dieting in the past and what has and hasn't worked for them, and then how successful or unsuccessful their last fat loss phase was. And I often encounter with females especially that many of them have had past dieting experiences, which they either categorize as being like a complete fail, or they would say that it was unsuccessful in general as they either struggled to lose the body fat that they desired or they lost weight, but were unable to keep it off. So they put on, like they put in all this hard work to get leaner, but they ended up quickly regaining all the fat they had lost shortly after finishing the fat loss phase. And this is something that I'm sure you can relate to that you've commonly heard and, and you've had people contact you about. And I know personally, this is something that I am constantly contacted about, especially because I tend to work with a lot of people with a history of chronic dieting. And when I dive in deeper as to why, you know, these specific new clients, you know, they're reporting to me that they've had, you know, previous fat loss phases that were unsuccessful. I often encounter one of two situations. I either encounter that they felt the need or the pressure to diet and to lose body fat. And this pretty much caused them to enter a fat loss phase when they weren't in a good position to do so, or that they didn't have a plan post diet, which caused them to backslide once the fat loss phase was over. So seeing as we've done, you know, we've done a ton of shows, honestly, over the years surrounding things like mitigating metabolic adaptation. I think that's our most popular one to date. Um, we've done you know topics such as the body fat overshooting effects, which is essentially why so many people regain weight back after a diet. We've done right. specific shows on how to reverse diet to avoid body fat overshooting. And then we've also done specific shows and even roundtables on recovery and reverse diet. So I figured that the most helpful episode to do prior to getting into one specifically on dieting for females would be to cover the considerations and things females need to do prior 
to starting a fat loss phase. As with many of my own clients, I found that by helping them to avoid the common mistake of just jumping into a deficit and instead working on priming their body and physiology prior to the start of a fat loss phase, I'm able to help them successfully lose more fat and also keep it off. So we, we can't just isolate things into one silo and only think about a fat loss phase. We have to think about how are we setting up these female clients or clients in general, because this is applicable to men. But I know that the, the vast majority of the audience here are females and we work with a, a vast majority of females. And so this is especially important for females as we see that around 42% of males and up to 61% of females in general populations around the world report going on a diet to lose weight each year. Yet we see the diet recidivism rates being anywhere between 50 to 95%, meaning many are able to lose weight in the short term, but they end up either back to where they started shortly afterwards, or in many cases, they end up losing weight in a pretty much like what could be termed, I mean, the only way to really put it is it's in an unsustainable manner due to not having been in a good spot to do so. So then what ends up happening is they end up gaining even more weight and fat than they lost in the fat loss phase itself, which is why the body fat overshooting effect is, is so common nowadays. And so there are many physiological and psychological roadblocks and obstacles that many will encounter during a diet, which often you know create essentially like resistance to weight loss and stalls in progress. And this can often lead dieters to feel discouraged and as though they're unable to uh, successfully lose fat, which is why I barely, you know, really at this point, I basically never go right into a fat loss phase with a new client, especially a Mm -hmm. female client. As I, you know, this is something I always say, but I truly believe in this, that a healthy body is a responsive body. So if a client isn't in a good spot, both physically and mentally, the best thing we can do as coaches is to take a step back and prioritize building a better foundation and mitigating some of the anchors in their physiology, in their habits, their routine, and their overall lifestyle to set them up for success, like a successful fat loss phase in the future. So based on, you know, all the years that I've been coaching, we're going on, you know, over almost, you know, 11 years at this point, I find that many females who come to me aren't in the right state, both physically and mentally to start a fat loss phase. And often they've just rushed into diets in the past, which have led to them hitting a lot of stalls in the process, having issues with improving their body composition, and also issues with adhering to the diet, which is why they often end up falling off the diet and gaining back the weight they lost after finishing the diet. And I think this is, you know, why it's really important for all you know females out there to be aware of some of the reasons this happens so commonly and also some of the things they're more susceptible to experiencing than males. Because really when we think about it, a lot of what's put out in diet culture, even the information that's put out, it's very generalized and it's not sex specific. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, whether it be approaches or it be uh, different rates of fat loss or different things that it's just kind of thrown out into the ether and it's it's kind of taken as common knowledge. However, it's it might not be applicable to females. So we're going to cover some of these differences essentially and things that females have to be more aware of and, you know, really have to make adjustments and also need to start prioritizing within their programming prior to starting a fat loss phase. And, you know, I want to make it very clear, like we have, you know, male listeners out there and obviously we, I work with a ton of males. So it's not that our male clients or, or male listeners of the show can't benefit from prioritizing these things prior to starting a fat loss phase. But when we look at the differences between males and females in terms of their response to dieting and their past experiences with dieting, we generally see that females tend to have a longer history of dieting and a higher incidence of chronic dieting. They're more susceptible to the negative effects of what's called low energy availability and are more likely to develop relative energy deficiency syndrome. They're more likely to encounter hormonal issues, especially things like hypothyroidism or just having like a general downregulation in thyroid production. 
And they often have experienced more metabolic adaptation than males due to dieting more often and then also more aggressively. And even if that's in relative sense, like if a female goes into a thousand calorie deficit and a male goes into a thousand calorie deficit, we have to realize that yes, in terms of an absolute number, they're at the same energy deficit. However, it's a, it's a much larger percentage of that females maintenance calorie intake. So if she has a maintenance calorie intake of 2000 calories, that's a 50% reduction in her total calorie intake for the day. That's a 50% deficit. Whereas if a male is starting at a maintenance calorie intake of 3000 calories and he reduces by a thousand, first of all, he's still at 2000 calories, you know, a good amount of, of, you know, um, calorie budget to play with, but also it's a 33% reduction in his intake. And then also when we look at females, they're also le- more likely to engage in practices and approaches to dieting that either don't suit their physiology, like doing fasted training or intermittent fasting, which is less beneficial in women than it is in men. And often due to the messages and images our society, our culture, and our media portray, females have a lot more pressure. And this is something I always have conversations about with a lot of my clients, my female clients in particular, is that there's a lot of pressure for them to be lean or tiny or toned year round than males. And this often leads females to have a poor relationship with the scale and their weight, as well as their body image, which causes them to chase a lighter scale weight to be a smaller version of themselves rather than a stronger, better version of themselves. And this also leads to them engaging in training and nutrition approaches that don't set them up for body composition success long-term, such as doing things like doing more HIIT training classes or HIIT training in general and more cardio than resistant training because cardio burns more calories than weight training or things like shying away from sufficiently fueling themselves to build muscle, especially when it comes to eating carbs and protein and training in a way that optimizes hypertrophy or muscle growth. And these are all things that actually cause females to encounter more issues when they're trying to lose fat and improve their body composition. So really like the entire premise behind this episode in particular is, is we have to realize that if we don't address these issues and bottlenecks initially before going into a deficit, it increases the chances that these issues get worse and that you don't actually achieve the lean body composition you desire, which is why I prefer not to go right into a diet. And instead, what I like to do with clients is I focus on improving upon the bottlenecks first so that it doesn't limit a client's ability to make progress in the future as they have in the past. And I also you know, I'm really big on educating my female clients on why they need to be properly fueling themselves prior to starting a fat loss phase. Because if you're already under fueling yourself and over restricting prior to starting a diet, it's not going to get better from there. If you already have a poor relationship with food or down, you know, uh, down regulated hormone production, you're not going to improve that by going into a deficit. And we really have to make that apparent. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think in a nutshell, we could just put, we could just say like, essentially the, Context of this episode is how do you prime yourself for more successful fat loss phases, right? I know you like the primer phase is something you use extremely consistently that phase before fat loss, where again, you're kind of priming your body a more healthy, responsive body to hop into that phase. How do we go about that? And for women specifically, like why is that so important? Why that's a piece that so many women are missing. So I'm excited to get into this, man. I think this will be so applicable for, for so many of the listeners. So First, you mentioned relative energy deficiency syndrome. Talk us through um, what is that and what is it caused by? So relative energy deficiency syndrome, also it's also referred to as REDS, is a condition that stems from being in a state or a chronic state of low energy availability. And why this is such an issue is because it impairs many aspects of our physiology and how well our body functions, including things like our metabolism, our sex hormone production, our bone health and our muscle growth and recovery. And then also, in particular with women, it, it impairs reproduction, their menstrual cycle function, and things of that sort. 
And REDS is something that both males and females can develop, but it's far more commonly experienced by females than males to the point that the concept of REDS wasn't even turned until 2014. So like, prior to that, it was something that had only been seen in female athletes. So it was originally referred to as the female athlete triad, which is a little bit different than REDS, but it's like mm-hmm. the foundation to REDS. So essentially what the female athlete triad was, was a condition that included three underlying causes and effects, which included low energy availability caused by underfueling and disordered eating habits. It included menstrual cycle dysfunction, which can include amenorrhea, which is essentially when a female loses her period for three or more months. And then also low bone mineral density, which can lead to osteopenia or osteoporosis. And unlike the female athlete triad, REDS has been found to have more downstream negative effects besides just the effects it has on the menstrual cycle function and bone mineral density. So within REDS, you know, as they've pretty much taken it from the female athlete triad and kind of, you know, transitioned it into this new term and this new condition, we see other issues. So we're seeing things like endocrine issues, so hormonal issues. We're seeing gastrointestinal issues, you know, constipation, IBS, things of that sort. We see that it can impair recovery and muscle growth, and it can downregulate sex hormone production and different aspects of our metabolism, including our metabolic rate, our thyroid levels, and our totally daily energy expenditure. So we've covered the concept of metabolic adaptation before. And it's similar to metabolic adaptation, but it has, like, if you actually look at the the relative energy deficiency in sport, like consensus statement that was put out by the uh, International Olympic Committee, it's a spoke. And it all comes out of low energy availability. And there's so many other um, aspects that are impacting or, you know, aspects from low energy availability that are impacting our physiology that go way beyond metabolic adaptation. So it's not just about an energy deficit. And it's really important to differentiate the two because a lot of times in fitness, we speak about energy balance or essentially calories in and calories out. But energy availability is a bit different as it looks at our total energy intake minus our energy expenditure specifically from exercise in relation to our level of fat-free mass. So you guys can just think about that as really we're looking at total intake minus you know the amount of calories you burn during exercise in relation to how much muscle you have. So with energy availability, we're not talking about the balance between the calories we eat versus the total amount of calories we expend in a day. We're specifically talking about the total amount of energy that person has left over from exercise, which our bodies can then use for physiological functions such as growth, repair, recovery, uh, hormone production, and even like reproduction. So energy availability is the amount of calories your body has to perform all its physiological needs and functions after accounting for the calories you burn during exercise. So if someone is in adequate energy availability, they have enough calories to fuel their training and have enough calories for their body to perform all its functions related to things like metabolism, growth, repair, recovery, which allows them to not only benefit from their training in terms of adapting to it and responding to it, but it also allows them to maintain proper physiological functions. So they're able to maintain their metabolic rate and their total daily energy expenditure. They're able to adequately produce hormones. And for females, it allows for the maintenance of their menstrual cycle. Now, if someone is in a state of low energy availability from chronically underfueling themselves while engaging in excessive amounts of exercise, they will no longer have enough calories to fuel their physiological functions due to those calories being used for exercise instead. So now they're in a state where their body starts to downregulate a lot of internal processes, which decrease things like thyroid production. We see decreases in sex hormone production, which can then disrupt a female's menstrual cycle and either cause elongated periods, meaning they'll go longer than the normal, you know, the you know, we always hear like the prototypical female cycles, 28 days. Man, I've worked with hundreds of females and I'll tell you that is a rarity. Really, when we actually look at the physiology, you know, female physiology, the average menstrual cycle is between 21 and 35 days. We're in this state of low energy availability. We'll see periods either be much shorter than 21 days or much longer. In, mo- in most right. cases, it's much longer than 35 days or 
in more extreme cases, we see that they can experience amenorrhea, which is where they completely lose their cycle. And then without their cycle, they're no longer adequately producing both progesterone and estradiol. And with the decrease in estradiol specifically, we see a decrease in bone mineral density, similar to what you know many females experience when they transition into menopause, as this is another time in a female's lives where the cessation of the menstrual cycle causes a decrease in their sex hormone production. And this decrease in estrogen has negative effects on things like bone health, insulin sensitivity, and even their metabolic health. And we even see like within certain meta, uh, menopausal you know populations that they even get more like their body fat distribution changes to more like visceral fat, which that's related to metabolic health, cardiovascular health, uh, uh, increased risk of type 2 diabetes. So there's a lot of downstream effects. Now, if low energy availability goes on for an extended period of time and becomes chronic, it then leads to a deficiency in energy or the medical condition referred to as REDS, which has negative you know, effects on both the person's health and their performance. So low energy availability is the main underlying cause of REDS, but there are a ton of other factors and habits that contribute to the state of low energy availability, such as things like excessive levels of high intensity, high output exercise, things like fasting, um, something called within day low energy availability, which is due to a lack of meal and nutrient timing. So basically this is, this is caused by not fueling yourself throughout the course of the day, especially when it comes to around like training and exercise and then also low carbohydrate intake leading to low energy availability, and it can also be exacerbated by micronutrient deficiencies. And now REDS is most commonly seen in sports that either have a high workload component to them or in sports that emphasize leanness and where there's like some degree of weight control. So this could be gymnastics, this could be endurance sport, or it could be physique sport. And we find it to be more prevalent in female athletes, but it's important for us to realize and be aware of the fact that many active females, even in the general population, who are interested in, you know, dropping body fat and staying lean, partake in a lot of the habits and behaviors that cause a state of low energy availability and can lead to reds such as doing tons of hit classes and higher intensity forms of cardio, uh, training in a fasted state, skipping meals and or doing like intermittent fasting to try to manage their calorie budget, uh, under fueling themselves, especially around training, and then not eating an, like, nearly enough carbohydrates to fuel the amount of exercise that they're doing. And because these types of activities and habits have become so trendy and common in today's diet and fitness culture, this leads many females susceptible to inducing this state of low energy availability and eventually leading to REDS. And this is something I've, I've seen in clients of all different backgrounds. So I want to make it really clear that despite the fact that this came from the term, you know, um, female athlete triad, this doesn't just apply to athletes because I've found it in females of all different backgrounds, ranging from, you know, females that just have a history with endurance sports, such as running and cycling. I've seen it with uh, female physique competitors, uh, CrossFit athletes. I've seen it with fitness models. And then I'm more and more, I'm, I'm seeing with lifestyle clients who come to me with a history of, you know, a long history of chronic dieting. And so, you know, just this week, I'll, I'll share with you because I just had a breakthrough with one of my clients. I had a female client who I've been working with for the past six months to rectify the effects of REDS. Um, I finally just this week had her get her period back as she came to me with REDS over six months ago. But here's the thing. Like, it wasn't just six months that we've been working on this. She had lost her menstrual cycle for over three years due to being in a Damn. state, uh, you know, a chronic state of low energy availability. And here's the thing. This, this client of mine is not a physique competitor. She's not a competitive athlete. She has no background in that. What Honestly, what she is, is she's a fitness influencer. So when we discussed this, when she first came to me, it was really, she felt the pressure and the need to stay lean year round. And this caused her to do things like underfuel herself, over-restrict and over-exercise. And although, here's the thing, like, 
there are there are methods that can lead to short-term progress, but that doesn't mean right. that they lead you to long-term success. So here's the thing. She over-exercised, she over-restricted, she underfueled herself. And initially it improved her body composition. She got lean. But the thing was that what initially helped her to lose weight and get lean ended up causing her to have a regression of progress. So when she contacted me, she had, you know, reached out and, and really expressed the fact that she noticed that her body composition and performance were regressing and getting worse despite, you know, trying to eat less and exercise more. And the other fact of the matter is she had lost her menstrual cycle and she had all of these downstream effects, you know, including like low energy, low libido. Uh, she felt like shit. So throughout the past six months, I've been working on have her having her properly fuel herself, shift her out of a habit of training fasted. That was a huge habit she had. She used to trash herself fasted, honestly. And I've really tried to develop a better relationship with food for her. And in that time, she's gained a ton of muscle. Like she's made a complete body recomposition transformation. And within that, we've increased her calories, six to 700 calories. But it's not like she's gained a ton of fat. She's gained a ton of muscle because she had underfueled herself so much. And so, you know, it's, it's taken like her body composition improvements started coming within the first few months. However, it's taken up until, you know, we're now six plus months in just to get her, you know, into a state of energy availability well enough that she's been able to get out of the state of low energy availability and energy deficiency. And it's really taken us nailing everything to restore sex hormone production in her menstrual cycle. So I really think that this is something that females need to be aware of, especially when fat loss is their goal, because we all are going after the shiny new object. We want the quick, six, uh, you know, quick uh, fix solution. We want to go after the six, you know, week mini cut, or we want to get shredded in a couple weeks or, you know, in a couple months. And often if your physiology is not in the right, right state to do that, it might respond initially. So I'm not telling anyone that an energy deficit, you know, a calorie deficit is not going to work for you, but I'm saying, is that going to, what is that going to do long-term? Is that going to potentiate greater help in terms of your body composition goals, or is that going to hinder your goals and progress in the future? Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And that's, again, just, I think that is a more and more common scenario that I see as well. I think of like one of my clients, Lexi, we were just working through a very similar situation to what we talked about with your client to where, um, and it was slightly different situation. Like she was transitioning off of hormonal birth control, but of course her cycle was missing. And when she started, it was like, she was doing over 20 K steps per day, training five days a week, running on top of that, six days a week, running on top of that, doing hit classes, eating very little, because but then I'll go ahead. We, we, we get into this mentality. More is better. And if more is not right. working, we got to just do more. And here's the thing. Sometimes more works more. But more can hurt more. And that's what a lot yeah. of people don't realize. Right. And that's like in her case, she's just a very driven, like very similar to us, very like type A, very driven person. She's a boss. Like she's she's crushed everything we put in front of her. But it was almost like, and I think that's true for a lot of clients we see. But I'll, even similarly, like I see a lot of people in that same situation, they like start playing the volume game with food to where it's like, okay, I'm working in like a ton of like these flexible dieting foods or I'm adding cauliflower rice, everything. And then like digestion is racked, right? And then that kind of makes this issue even worse to where we're not really absorbing these nutrients that we're taking in or we're like short on all these micronutrients and it just makes things a lot worse. Like for her, it was like a situation like long-term, she wanted to build more muscle and be lean, but we got our labs done and like her sex hormones were all just in a terrible place. It's like, Hey, we're not gonna be able to build very effectively like this. Um, and with where you're at currently, like we're also not in a good place for us to enter a fat loss phase. So short-term, we're going to need to take a step back. Now she's in a place where she, we've reestablished a super consistent cycle. She feels so much better. Now we're in a place where we're still not putting in her in deficit, but she's even throughout that, like pulling back training, pulling back her steps, ramping up her food. It's been cool to see just like how much like her digestion, her energy levels, everything is just so much better. But now we're in a position where no matter which direction we push, we're going to get such a better result than if we would have, if we would just hit the gas pedal right out of the gate. But that required from her, like, and I'm, I'm super proud of her because she's been so patient. I know it's not an easy thing to do, but now after five months of that, 
Now we're in a place where it's, which realistically isn't that long of a time, I think, like in terms of how long sometimes those processes can take. But now we're in a place where no matter which direction we go, we can do super well. So I think you laid that all out extremely well, man. One thing you mentioned was women shouldn't fast for long periods of time or they shouldn't fast around their training. Can you elaborate on why that is? Absolutely. So I, I hate to come down in the intermittent fasting crowd or the, the training fasted crowd and things of that sort, but really when we come down to it, we have to look at physiology. And a lot of the research that's actually done on fasting or intermittent fasting trials or even fasted training is done on males. And what a lot of educators within the space or even coaches within the space don't differentiate with that. So we really need to touch on, if we're talking about female physiology and female fat loss, we have to go to the literature that's based on females. We can't just extrapolate and automatically assume that what's good for males is good for females. So, you know, really when it comes down to this topic, it's, you know, something I've noticed with many females doing since I started coaching is training facet as a lot of them believe that they'll burn more fat as a result of doing so. And within the last few years, you know, intermittent fasting has become a huge craze. It's become extremely popular and I'm constantly getting questions about it. And you and I have done multiple podcasts where that has been like a bone of contention. Essentially, it's been a topic we've been asked about. Is it better for fat loss than, you know, um, just regular caloric restriction? And really we're not seeing that whatsoever. It's equated if anything. And sometimes it has worse effects, especially in terms of lean body mass retention, but it's become really popular. And so now females aren't just training fasted, they're also fasting for large portions of the day. And research finds that females respond better from a training perspective, from training in a fed state, both in terms of fueling performance and facilitating recovery, both of which lead to greater training adaptations, muscle growth, and body composition improvements. And what we have to realize is when we train fasted and then don't fuel ourselves after, we stay in a sympathetic dominant state or our stress hormones like cortisol and catecholamine stay elevated. And this increase in stress and the energy deficit we've created from going into the session fasting and burning calories during and after the training session leaves us in what's called or what's referred to as a within day energy deficit, meaning that during the early portion of the day, you're in a state of negative energy balance. You're in a deficit essentially, and you're in a state of low energy availability, meaning that the amount of calories you burn through exercise is higher than the amount of calories that you've consumed that day. Think about it. If you've went, you know, an overnight fast and then you've went into the gym and you've expended three, four, five, 600 calories, and then you've also done cardio and expended more calories on top of that, you could be in a six to 900 calorie deficit right within there. And if you're within energy available, you know, within day energy availability isn't accounted for, and you're spending large periods of time within the day in a fasted state where you're not taking in nutrients, you're in a state of low energy availability for large portions of the day, which can then have negative impacts on your training performance and training adaptation. So how you actually respond to your training, your recovery capacity, your energy levels, and your hormone levels. And this type of approach leads to a higher risk for developing REDS. And fasting also tends to be more disruptive and harmful to a female's physiology as they're more susceptible to the negative effects of low energy availability. So this within-day energy deficit signals to the hypothalamus, so essentially the control center in our brain, that there's not enough nutrients and energy available in the system or in the body. And it causes adaptations like a decrease in thyroid production and you know, a decrease or downregulation in metabolism as a result of our body just trying to conserve energy. So you're basically setting yourself up to be more likely to experience metabolic adaptations as a result. So in active females who train fasted, we see a higher likelihood of, of two main things. We see a higher likelihood of REDS and then more hormonal issues. So we actually have studies that, that look at this in particular. So I know in one study on female athletes, they found that when athletes ate a large dinner, but spent most of the day in a state of low energy availability and created a within-day energy deficit due to not fueling themselves around training and during the earlier portion of the day, it resulted in an increase in cortisol, a reduction in lean mass and estrogen production, 
which you know is associated with lower bone mineral density. And they also found that it dysregulated they dysregulated their appetite and satiety hormones, where ghrelin was higher in those who didn't eat earlier in the day and who saved most of their calories for the evening, which could lead to overeating at night. And all these effects, like it's really important to realize this, they weren't in an energy deficit, like a 24-hour energy right. deficit. These females were actually eating at maintenance calories. When we look at a 24-hour intake perspective, and they were weight stable. So it wasn't like they were actually losing weight or they were suffering actual metabolic adaptations from being in a calorie deficit, but it was just from the within-day energy deficit they created early on in the day due to lack of proper meal and nutrient timing around training. Then there's also research that finds that just three days of fasting in normal weight women and five days of being in a very uh, aggressive deficit where energy availability was cut in half leads to a disruption of what's called luteinizing hormone pulsatility in females. And this disruption in LH pulsatility has been shown to be a future predictor of menstrual cycle disruption and amenorrhea. And this is because when our brains receive a signal that there's not enough energy and fuel coming in, it starts to downregulate other processes. And we've spoken about this in detail when it comes to metabolic adaptation and how lower leptin levels feed back on the hypothalamus to downregulate total daily energy expenditure. But specifically in females, when we look at very aggressive deficits as well as fasting, we see that it disrupts LH pulsatility. And when it decreases this LH pulse, it impacts a female's sex hormone production like estrogen. It decreases their thyroid production and can ultimately lead to interruptions or disruptions in their menstrual cycle function, which is why it's so important for females to focus on fueling themselves around training. Like if you're going in and you're training hard, you really want to make sure that you're, you're fueled and, and you're putting yourself in a position not only to succeed within that session, we can't just think about the, the session itself. We have to think about the entire training program as a whole. No, no one workout is going to make or break your physique. No one workout is going to build muscle or lose muscle. However, right. it's what we do over time. It's a compounding effect that is what leads us to either getting closer to our goals or regressing and being further away from our goals. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. Like I follow a couple of coaches who have relatively large followings on Instagram and they're constantly like bashing on meal timing specifically. And like, it doesn't matter if you eat before you train. And it's such an interesting thing where I feel like so many of these variables are overlooked, but I'll also say like, this is a huge problem. As you said, it does impact, um, it impacts sex hormones and thyroid both negatively. Right. But I, like I I've opened up my roster for the first time in a long time and been pushing that. So like the last week, I know I onboarded three new female clients. Every single one of them was training fasted. And that's like, it is the rarity. I would say like maybe one, not. one out of 10, if that, like female clients that I bring on are, are training in a non-fasted state. So I think it's still like a huge thing that needs addressed. So talk us through then, like we talked about the negatives of this. So how would you recommend a female fuel themselves around their training? So I find that making sure my female clients don't train fasted and instead going into training in a fed and fuel state is important and beneficial because often females are dealing with, we have to think about all the background things. We can't just think about nutrition and training in just these one-off boxes like coaching. Yeah, I would say this, but coaching is more than the X's and O's of nutrition you know, in terms of calories and macros and training in terms of sets and reps. And we have to think about the entire lifestyle. So when I really look at like a lot of my female clients that come to me, they're dealing with much higher levels of stress than males. And when I run labs on them, the average female that comes to me has much higher cortisol levels than my average male client does. So if they go into training in a fasted state, they're already in a catabolic state due to the overnight fast where they haven't ingested any nutrients and they're going to go into the gym with already elevated cortisol levels, which can further muscle protein breakdown. So to mitigate this, I want to ensure that they're at least having a large dose of protein before training to try to switch them out from this catabolic state to a more anabolic state due to having stimulated muscle protein synthesis. And then 
also ensuring that they eat a meal after training because another trend, you know, and this is always wild to me because we come from the era of, of meal timing and nutrient timing, but really because of, and the thing is that Alan Aragon is a close friend of mine. He's a mentor of mine. And he was the one that wrote like nutrient timing revisited, which is one of the most often cited, um, you know, meta-analysis on the topic of yeah. nutrient timing. And a lot of people don't realize I've had conversations with Alan in person about this. People take their findings where they said that total protein intake was more important than protein timing. And they've, they've extrapolated that to mean all nutrient timing. No, the title said that. It never said anything about carbohydrate timing or carbohydrate availability, or if you were training fasting and, and you didn't have a pre-workout meal that you should have a post-workout meal. So what I've started to notice is that, you know, a lot of people or a lot of females in particular, they tend to forego eating for hours after training. And this is just, you know, adding insult to, you know, injury to insulin essentially. And really what that does is it just has them stay in this breakdown state for longer than necessary, which isn't doing their body composition any help. And what's interesting is often when I ask a new client why they go into resistance training fasted, they say that it's because they want to burn more fat because, you know, but when we actually look at it, like, cause that's what they hear on social media. Like if you want to burn more fat, go into, you know, your training fasted, but that's honestly not what the majority of the literature finds. So you may burn more fat in a session if you're doing low intensity cardio or walking. And this is something that Brad Schoenfeld has shown. He's done actually a specific, you know, fasted uh, cardio study on females in particular, and found that they oxidize, they burn more fat during that session itself. But when we actually look at like the large body of literature on actual in high intensity exercise, not fasted lists, we're looking at higher intensity exercise like resistance training. Uh, there's, you know, meta-analysis that we have on substrate oxidation and fuel use during fasted exercise. And they found that fat oxidation actually increased more after exercise when participants trained in a fed state rather than when they trained fasted. And they also found that after fasted exercise, there was a reduction in fat oxidation for both men and women, but fat oxidation was blunted more in women. So this is a little bit more specific to a female's physiology, where if they go into training fasted, they're actually burning less fat as a result. So if you're someone that who trains early in the AM before work or before you need to get your kids ready, you know, for school and you're skipping a pre-workout meal because you can't stomach a, you know, a full meal uh, that early, you know, an easy alternative that I always work out with clients is just to use liquid uh, nutrition or quick meals to ensure you're going in well-fueled and you aren't bogged down by a large meal. So this can be really simple. Like when it comes to pre-workout nutrition, especially with my early morning trainings, um, both males and females, I'm always making simple suggestions that are going to move the needle in the direction they want to go. So this can be something as simple as having a protein shake or throwing a scoop or two away and a cup of coffee. And then you can also add a piece of fruit to that or even some liquid carbs like highly brand cyclodextrin. And these are all quick and convenient meals to make, you know, sure that you will be able to you know, fuel your training, yet they don't require much time, energy, or effort, and they won't have you entering the gym with a full stomach. And the other reason why I'm really big on ensuring females have protein prior to training is because we have a large body of evidence that shows that this is beneficial from a metabolic, a body composition, and a performance perspective. And one benefit of having a pre-workout meal, especially a protein-centered meal, is it increases the amount of calories you burn in the session, like the training session itself, and then afterwards. So we have, you know, RCTs. There was a randomized control trial that was done out of UNC uh, Chapel Hill. And this was, uh, I'm, I believe this was done by Dr. Smith Ryan, who's like a huge researcher on female physiology. So her work is immensely beneficial for females out there. But they took active females and they had them do a resistance training session where one session was done with whey protein pre-workout and another session, it was done with the same amount of calories, but it came just from liquid carbs pre-workout. And then they also had a, sec a secondary condition where they put them through hit cardio on different days and they utilized the same type of pre-workout approach. So one day they did 
HIIT cardio after a protein, a whey protein shake pre-workout. And the other condition, they did a HIIT cardio session after a carb, liquid carbohydrate meal pre-workout. And they found that in both of these conditions, taking in protein pre-resistance training or pre-HIIT led to a significant increase in the amount of calories and fat these ladies burn during and after exercise. So if you're training fasting to burn more fat, you're actually missing out on the metabolic advantage having protein pre-workout provides us with. And so really what you think you're doing because of what you saw on an Instagram reel or you heard some influencers say, it may apply to males because we do see higher fat oxidation in males, even in a fasted state. However, it's not applying to females. And that's why it's so important to, I understand like a lot of times we, we really get into nuances, but it's really important that if you're training females, you know about female physiology. And that's one thing I really see lacking in a lot of nutrition coaches out there you know, bodybuilding coaches, whatever it may be. A lot of times, like they're not even aware of like the fluctuations within the menstrual cycle, let alone they don't, they're not even aware or don't even have conversations with their female clients about their menstrual cycle, about the different symptoms that they're experiencing, or some of the preconceived notions that these females have bought into, such as misinformation and disinformation that they see out on social media, or they see from their favorite influencer who's misinformed. And so they take these as gospel and they implement them into the routine. And a lot of times it's doing them more harm than good i couldn't agree more man and specifically with the fasted training side of things it's just really no benefits only only downsides when it comes to resistance training specifically again i know we've talked about fasted lists which is kind of a different conversation than what we're chatting about here so to kind of sum things up can you talk us through like what are the nutritional principles you should be focusing on prior to going into a fat loss phase right like what are the things we need to be focused on or boxes we need to be taking to kind of prime ourselves for success there or for the female listener to prime themselves for success absolutely so when it comes to the big rocks i think all females should be focusing on from a nutrition perspective prior to you know entering or even considering a fat loss phase to be honest with you the ones that are going to move the needle the most and lead to them building more muscle increasing their meta uh you know their metabolism keeping them out of a state of low energy availability and putting them in a position to succeed within a fat loss phase is three things that i would really center on i would say to prioritize protein ensure adequate carbohydrate intake and use nutrient timing to better fuel their training and performance so when it comes to prioritizing protein, I believe this is probably the most important thing we can focus on from a nutrition perspective. When building muscle and improving composition are your goals. And I find that many females are under the impression that they can only benefit from eating around you know, 20 to 25 grams of protein per meal. And anything over that isn't going to be digested, absorbed, and utilized. And this is a conversation I always find myself having with, with female athletes, especially those that are getting a little bit older. So they're in the perimenopause transition or going into menopause, where I'm recommending 35 or 40 grams of protein. They're like, listen, I don't think my body can utilize that. I, I don't think I could digest that. But first and foremost, we have to realize we absorb all the protein we eat. So there's not a per meal cap to the amount of protein we can take in in a sitting. And females can benefit from higher protein intake across the life course. So when a female is naturally you know, uh, menstruating, there tends to be an increase in muscle protein breakdown during the luteal phase. So basically half of the month of their cycle, their protein degradation break, uh, rates, so basically their muscle protein breakdown rates are higher, which can be mitigated through just eating more protein, so through higher protein intake. And then as a female enters perimenopause and transitions to menopause, they experience what's referred to as anabolic resistance, which refers to the fact that as we age, and this happens with males as well, but we really see females in that perimenopause to menopause transition more susceptible to it because estrogen is essentially a female's testosterone. It is their anabolic you know, sex hormone. And so when they start to transition into menopause, we see a 
down regulation in estradiol production. So now they're more susceptible to losing lean body mass, but also they're more susceptible to anabolic resistance, which is when our body isn't as receptive to anabolic stimuli as we were when we were younger. So increasing and maximizing muscle protein synthesis requires a larger protein feeding, essentially. So we need to eat higher amounts of protein to build and maintain muscle tissue. So across the life course, females, whether you're naturally menstruating and you're early on in life, or you're getting into middle age and you're transitioning into you know, perimenopause and menopause, you're going to benefit from a higher protein intake. So I think it's important for those who had the goal of improving their body composition to realize how important and helpful protein can be in that process. And research finds that increasing protein intake in females who resistant train can lead to body recomposition. So they're able to build muscle and drop fat as a result of simply increasing their protein intake. So I know that, you know, Dr. Bill Campbell uh, did a study a few years back and it's a phenomenal study on this topic. And really what he did was he took resistant trained females and these were what were considered aspiring physique athletes or female physique athletes. And he split them up into a high protein intake and a low protein intake group. And both groups of females trained using the same training program. But the only difference was the high protein intake group had to eat at least 2.4 grams of protein per kilogram per day, whereas the low protein intake group couldn't eat any more than 1.2 grams per kilogram per day. And by the end of the eight-week study, both groups differed not only in their protein intake, but in calories, as the higher protein intake group ended up consuming uh, around, like it was like three or 400 calories more per day as a result of eating double the amount of protein at minimum as the low protein group. But when they actually looked at the results, it was staggering. So the high protein intake group gained significantly more fat-free mass and lost significantly more fat mass. And the, you know, the females in the high protein intake group ended up gaining over four pounds of muscle losing two pounds of fat and losing two pounds or two percent of body fat, whereas the low protein intake group actually gained a pound and a half of fat despite eating less calories than the high protein intake group, which shows how beneficial higher protein intakes can be for females from both a body composition and muscle building perspective. The next thing we want to focus on is ensuring you're eating a sufficient amount of carbs for your level of activity and specifically for the type of training you're doing. So if you're someone out there, you're sedentary, you're not training, I'm not you know, telling you to stuff yourself with carbs. However, we have to realize that another thing that leads to low energy availability and REDS is excessive carbohydrate restriction, which leads to what's referred to as low carbohydrate availability. And carbohydrate intake and having a sufficient amount of carbs, you know, or carbohydrate availability is important as it's needed to fuel high intensity, you know, exercise such as resistance training. It's the preferred fuel source for the brain and our central nervous system. And it's also tied to the production of hormones, which many people don't realize. Like when we actually look at how carbohydrates and insulin, you know, act on the hypothalamus as well as on our hormone production, it's it's involved in thyroid production, it's involved in leptin production, and in luteinizing hormone production, which have impacts on our metabolic rate, our energy expenditure, our satiety levels, and our reproduction. So you want to make sure that you eat carbs around training to ensure that you have adequate carbohydrate availability to fuel higher intensity training and to also help with recovery. And this is where I'd suggest using a nutrient timing approach to your carb intake, where a larger proportion of your daily carb intake is distributed and timed around your training sessions. And then the last thing that we'll get into is nutrient time. You know, this is something that I find that many females overlook, and maybe it's because it's not um, it's not something that they've been focused on, or it's not something that the people that they listen to really put a heavy focus on. However, you know, really it's something that could be highly beneficial to them. So I would suggest they focus on using nutrient timing, but specifically peri-workout nutrition, where you ensure that you're properly fueled or you're fueling yourself properly with protein and carbs before and after training. And we have research that finds that when you 
you take two groups essentially, and you had, you know, essentially what they did in the study was they took two groups, and I believe we covered this on actually we did a, a full nutrient timing uh, series, but it was a Kriven Hayes study, and essentially what they did was they took two groups that were protein and calorie equated, and they followed the exact same resistance training program, and they had one group who had the protein and carb meal before and after training, so it was nutrient timed. And the other group just had it at different times of the day. So they had these meals in the morning and evening. Same, you know, calories equated, protein equated, everything equated. However, the nutrient time-based group um, gained considerably more lean mass, lost more fat mass, and dropped more body fat, and also saw greater increases in strength than the other group who had the exact same meals and macros, but the timing of those meals were eaten in the morning and the evening rather than around training. And also, when it comes to nutrient timing for females, there's actually one study off the top of my head I can think of that has actually been done specifically on females. And in this study, they took resistance training females and divided them up into one of three groups over the course of a six-week resistance training study. And one had protein and carbs pre-workout, one trained fasted, but had the same amount of protein and carbs uh, in a meal later in the day. And then there was a control group where they didn't have the protein and carbs at all around training. So there was no nutrient timing. And they found that the pre-group ended up having higher energy expenditure, so more calories burned and higher fat oxidation rates. And they also had higher training volume as compared to the groups which trained fasted, who had significantly lower training volume. And strength was better in both the pre and the post-group as compared to the control group. So overall, it's best to ensure that you have a pre-workout meal prior to training, but both pre-workout and post-workout nutrition that includes protein and carbohydrates can have beneficial effects on how many calories um, and how much fat you burn and on training performance overall, which over time will lead to having a better overall body composition. And once you have like all these principles in place, having, you know, you have sufficiently fueled yourself for an extended period of time, you've built more muscle and been in a place of abundance, both physically and mentally, you'll be in a much better place and much better suited to then enter a fat loss phase and actually see the results and outcomes you want, which is a leaner, more toned version of yourself rather than just a skinnier, smaller version of yourself. And that's why I think it's so important for us to hit on. I understand that a lot of times clients come to me and they have a very um, you know, short-term goal. They want to get lean in eight to 12 weeks per se. And it's not sexy as a coach to tell them, listen, you're not in the position to do so. And a lot of times, really what I do with coaching is I have to meet clients in the middle. So I try to give them what, both of what they want, but also what they need. And we have to strike a balance because if you're putting yourself in a state where you're not ready for fat loss... I cannot, you know, in all honesty and in all transparency and with my integrity intact, I cannot put you in a place where you're going to fail. And I won't set anyone up to fail. I'm only here to set up clients for success. So I think that although, you know, our audience really wanted to dive into fat loss, I think that we have to really put, you know, not put the cart before the horse and essentially make sure that every individual out there, but especially females realize that you need to be in a, you need to put yourself in a position to thrive rather than just pushing yourself through a process and hoping you survive. Yeah, I can agree more, man. And I know we're both very much in alignment there. So I'm really glad that we kicked this series off, starting with the things that we need to do before the diet to set yourself up for success. Because again, I think this is the most overlooked part of all of it. Again, there's very few people who start the process where it's, I've done an incredible job fueling myself for years. I haven't been dieting and I'm in a great position to do so, right? Um, so I'm really glad we touched on this, man. Uh, I think that's a great summary and I'm excited to get into the next couple episodes of the series before we let you go, dude, anything else you want to mention, anything going on that you want to plug? Um, not, not much uh, new on my end, but I do want to just, you know, to the audience, just give a little, uh, shout out and, uh, also let them know any other topics you guys want us to cover. We are more than happy to do so, but I really wanted to prioritize and make this the center for to initiate this female fat loss series that we will eventually get into and, and go through because a lot of times 
you know, we want to dive right in and you get all this information and people hear our podcast and then they want to go either try it on themselves or they want to come to us and work with us. And really when it comes down to it, I really take, I really try to empower people with education and really set them up for success, whether they work with me or they just take their, the information that I provide and try to apply it in their own life. And I really think that a lot of coaches within our industry kind of sell with sexy. You know, they speak mm-hmm. about topics that they know that people are going to be more enticed by. And I understand this isn't a sexy topic at all, but really when it comes down to it, I'm looking for long-term client success. And I always tell you this, Jeremiah, at this point in my career, I'm not looking for, you know, 12-week physique transformations. I'm looking for life transformations. And really when it comes down to it, as you just mentioned, there are very few and far between individuals, especially females that come to us in a position where they're thriving, where they fuel themselves and they're ready for fat loss. And if that was the case, I would be more than happy to do so. But that's really not what I'm encountering and haven't been encountering, especially for the last few years. And really when it comes down to it, one of our responsibilities as a fitness professional, as a coach, and as someone that really cares about the clients we work with is to put out messages and information that's really going to help and really going to shift the narrative within our industry, but also is going to increase awareness to those out there that want to jump into something because they think that that's what they need to do or that's what they have the pressure to do. But in reality, we really have to try to set people up for success. And the first way to do that is to increase awareness around the issues that could come from jumping into that fat loss phase or jumping into this very short-term goal that doesn't aid your long-term progress. So ultimately, when it really comes down to it, this is all about setting guys up for success. And there are those rare unicorns, but I'll tell you, nine out of 10 individuals that come to me, they're just not ready for fat loss. And I understand that that's not the thing that many people want to hear. But I will say that from my experience, having went through this process and put through hundreds of people through a primary phase where I essentially, like I always say, a healthy body's responsive body. That's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on improving your nutritional habits, your training habits. We're uh, improving upon your sleep, your stress management, your lifestyle as a whole. And then you're in such a greater position to succeed going forward that we've potentiated the progress that you'll make in that subsequent or that next fat loss phase. Whereas if we just started behind the eight ball, you've underfueled yourself, you're dealing with all these you know, ramifications, you have a poor relationship with food, you already have poor blood work, and then I throw you into a fat loss phase. Yes, I could put it, you into an energy deficit. That doesn't mean you're going to respond to it. So really when it comes down to it, we have to realize that we should coax the body into the the results that we want and the body constitution we're looking for rather than trying to force it because as with everything it's like a slingshot effect you pull too hard back it's gonna you know uh sling right back at you yeah absolutely and i always liked it within this conversation because this is one i have a lot as well i always like to remind people like hey we're in the results-based business the best results the better the results i can get you and realistically the quicker i can get you those great results the better that is for business right (laughs) but so what i want you to understand is i am not going to because it can be hard to go into this with like why is my coach making me do this right i don't want to do this but so it's important to understand like if your coach is having you do that they would also much rather we just like hey let's hop in the diet let's get you shredded in the next six to twelve weeks whatever it is but they probably see a need for it, right? And it is very much from our end. It's a much more challenging thing to do than just tell someone, hey, like, let's hop right into fat loss, right? So understand, like, there is definitely, like, if your coach is encouraging you to do something like that, there's probably a long game. Like, long term, it's going to be much better for you. So just the final thought I'd leave the listener with. Absolutely. Well, as always, guys, it's always a pleasure. Jeremiah, you guys can reach out to me at Brandon DeCruz underscore on Instagram or through my email, which is bdecruzfitness at gmail.com, as well as check me out on the Chasing Clarity podcast, which drops every single Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Dope. And we will catch you guys next time.